about 10 of your life in the stocks enjoyed every single one mate i mean there's there's such a variety of people isn't there as well all from sort of music and you know comedy and whatever but really interesting stuff they really do uh you know get to the bottom of a lot of things don't you on, on, the, on life in the stocks thank you mate yeah yeah that's the goal i never want to just do like generic q a stuff um again going back to that idea of needing to connect i think if i had the chance to sit down and and chat with someone that i respect i really want to get to the core of who they are as a human being and why they do what they do what inspires them what they've been through um you know sometimes people are more receptive and open than others but a lot of the time as long as you i think show people respect and make them feel comfortable and appreciated uh and you're you know humble yourself i think they warm to you and and yeah, there's been so many, well, there's been 200 now, um, beautiful yeah. chats with a wide range of incredible people. I've been on a bit of a break from the show for the last month, uh, which has also been really nice because I've been doing it consistently for four years. And after doing 200 episodes in a book, I just figured it was time to hit pause, take a step back, get a bit of perspective. And, and that's been really nice just over the last four to five. Well, I haven't really done an interview in about three months because... I'd sort of done all my interviews by the end of October last year and then just put out two a week, November, December, because I just had so many stacked up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been really nice to just sort of look back through the process of writing the book, chatting on other podcasts about the book and my podcast. It's been nice to be a bit removed from it enough to appreciate the things I've achieved and, and done, you know, without being big headed about it. It's just been really cool to, because when you're in something and you're constantly releasing stuff, you don't always appreciate everything you've done because it's always on to the next thing and looking forward. And yeah, and it's been really nice to just look back and go, wow, that's that's been a really fucking cool four-year run of 200 amazing chats and, and there'll be many more to come. But for the time being, it's just kind of, yeah, nice to let that back catalogue sit there and still reach new people as well. Like I still get messages from people every day saying I've only just discovered your show and that's great you know they're often yeah. like i'm so sorry i hadn't heard of it before i was like no don't worry like better late than never and there's no such thing as too late no, um, of course not. so yeah it's cool man so just keep going would be my only advice to you guys and anyone yeah it's, you hard, know. it's hard doing it every week and uh, a lot of podcasts start and then stop and i think a lot of people come into them with the best intentions and it depends what you want out of them and why you're doing it in the first place. But if you want yeah. to just do it to, to kind of connect with people and chat and, and, you know, just sort of put something good out into the world, then just as long as you can find the time, keep doing it would be my advice. Yeah. yeah you know what you're saying yeah, yeah. about 
podcast stacking up and with us not so much stacking up but it, it is the kind of editing it put some you know music on the front and get it out there and then put it onto youtube and your, your social medias and it does take time doesn't it you know you must have you worked must i know you must have worked so hard to get all that sift through it all and get all them out there and put them out there just from doing it like we have been that must have took a lot of time and a lot of effort but obviously so worth it because now they're out there they're out there forever aren't they you know those chats are they are there once you've yeah, done man. they're you know amazing amount of effort to do 200 episodes yeah wow. what's what's tell me tell me three of your favorites matt who is three of the most interesting people you've chatted to um john lyden is an obvious you know high-ranking guest just because mm. i'm a huge fanatic of all things punk and that whole yeah. school of art and ideology and, and culture and he really for me is the kingpin and the godfather of all that i don't care what anybody says about him in today's woke world so, you know he's obviously said no. something and you know done things which piss people off whether it's wearing you know make america great hats or whatever he's a very divisive contradictory character but the day that i spent with him was one of the greatest days of my life and he was nothing but a sweetheart and a gentleman to me um yeah. and we had an amazing conversation and that's always you know stuck with me as one of my proudest moments and and yeah most appreciated and enjoyed conversations um gail porter was another one that was particularly deep and and resonated with me we spoke about mental health in quite a candid vulnerable and and intense at times way and, and that was a you know a special episode for me um gene simmons is another problematic artist like john who a lot of people i think despise and like to shit talk and uh, he winds people up and says things which, you know, I definitely don't agree with with a lot of what he says, but I think he's a he's an entertaining guest. He's a high value guest. He speaks his mind. He is who he is. He's unapologetic about who he is. Um, he he is an entertainer, isn't he? At the end of the day, well, That's, that is what he is. I said to him, I was like, uh, we were chatting about political correctness and and these things. And I was like, you know, you've obviously said quite a bit of stuff to get, you know, the, the, the backlash that you have. And he said, well, I'm a rock star. I'm not a priest. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not here to set an example. I'm here to entertain and piss people off. That's what rock stars <laughs> should do. And I yeah. believe that. And that's what a lot of my guests that I get on are of a certain age or, or older, because no disrespect to younger bands, I find new music exciting, but it's very rare that I find new artists today that engaging for me on a one-to-one -one personal level, like to talk mm. to a young person who hasn't really got any life experience, for me, that doesn't hold the same appeal as chatting to someone like Gene Simmons or John Lydon that's got this whole life of legacy behind them. Yeah. You know, you can talk to people like that till the cows come home. So they're my sort of favorite guests, really, are the, you know, the 40 and 50 and above camp. Um, so they'd be three that come to mind, but honestly, I could go for hours, like at least a hundred of those 200 for me have been like game changing, life altering, all time epic conversation. I was, draw I was drawn straight to when I looked down the list, I was like, right, what more ones am I going to listen to first? And I'll admit it. I did go for Johnny Rotten and uh, Gene Simmons. Nice. And, and then I went with jo uh, Joe Elliott and Glenn Hughes and Tom yeah. Morello. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah, all I know. So went down the, the list. And then the one where Jesse interviews you, that was cracking because you've got the real insight on the pair of you, you know, kind of just chatting to each other without 
you know, I'm this person, I'm this person. It was just, you know, a, a, a human chat, wasn't it? The pair of you when he interviewed I'm, you. But yeah, they're I'm the ones I've got through so far. I've, but, I've uh, sent him so many messages. <laughs> <laughs> Who, Jesse Leach? Yeah, I'm such a fan. <laughs> he loves Kill Switch, doesn't he, Hobo? Well, yeah. I'll tell you boys a little bit of exclusive news. Uh, we haven't got the launch date locked in, but Jesse and myself are starting a podcast together. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. And, and it might even be live by the end of, of January. If not, it'll certainly be February. Um, I can't really say too much about it yet because we've got to sign the contract and everything, but it's going to be with like an official network. And um, yeah, it's going to be the pair of us. Occasionally there'll be guests, but for the large part, it'll just be me and Jesse. And we'll just be talking about mental health, spirituality, lifestyle, art, philosophy, hospitality, food, travel, culture, music, everything. Um, and it's something we've been developing for a while and I'm beyond thrilled to be, to be doing it. So I'll probably be launching that show before I relaunch mine. That's kind of mm -hmm. what I've been focusing on for the That's last gonna month. That's going to be good. I mean, That's going to be good, definitely. Just from listening to that episode we used to, you can totally tell that's going to work. That's a good idea. Yeah, I've definitely yeah, oh, that definitely. one. He's a great dude. He's a really, really just insightful and inspiring human being. Um, I think it was Brock Lindo from 36 Crazy Fist once described him to me as the, the Bob Marley of metal. And he's exactly that for me. He's such a spiritual, influential and, and cool, humble, down-to-earth, beautiful man. And uh, yeah, man, I'm really, really excited about that. So watch this space. It's yeah. so cool, mate. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm literally sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for the Times of Grace album to come out. I literally can't wait for that. <laughs> I think that's next month or the month after. I don't know, it's nice quite soon. That's going to be something. super soon, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very soon. Uh, I may or may not have a cheeky advanced copy of that in my... <laughs> may or may not. Secret <laughs> archive files. Um, You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, it's a fucking... It's a, it's a masterpiece. It's an incredible oh, record. No, that's that's it's, good. It's, it's going to blow people away for sure. It's going to be How well worth the wait. I know it's been a long time coming. But, does uh, it stand it up to the first album? Because the first album oh, was like incredible. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's it's wow. very different. And it's, yeah, it's it, it's its own thing. And it's it's an incredible record. I don't mm. want to say anything other than that. No, no, of course not. not. No, no. My place to, but yeah. Uh, the, so the it's, so it's first official review. Off. Yeah, His man. first official review is it's a masterpiece, Matt Stocks. Yeah, <laughs> don't go sharing that quote anywhere, though. Don't use that as a bite-sized bite tagline. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, well, well, be no. Like the podcast deals off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I won't say fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few things Crazy. I wanted to ask you. I, I wanted to ask you, because we, we don't know, but why was Team Rock cancelled? Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> if you could... And there's a couple of just like questions like this where I just want you to tell the story because we honestly don't know. <laughs> and that's one of them. I mean, I've, I know so little about what happened with that whole company. Um, I can give you my experience there. And, and that's all I can really do because I was never really involved in the behind the scenes operational, you know, day to day yeah. of that company. I came from Kerrang, which is a station that, I was extremely proud of working for, and I had great, great memories of working there and nothing but love and familial appreciation and, and respect for everybody who I worked with at Kerrang. So I came into Team Rock with a 
you know, a, ban- a benchmark of, of the best possible working experience you can have in this industry. And Team Rock for me was just a, a hellish, nightmarish, disappointing experience oh, from start to end. I found it very cliquey. I found a lot of the people there very difficult to get on with. Um, I found the standard subpar. <laughs> I'm not going to hold back here. Oh, um, yeah, and I just, I found it a fairly miserable year of my life. I was happy to be in London and back working in the industry because I'd had a period away. And so personally, it was cool for me to get back on the radio. And I was doing a show called Soundtrack Apocalypse, which was kind of a kind of a, a blueprint for my podcast that that was when I started to develop my love and appreciation for long form conversations. And I think definitely without that year doing that show um, and, and getting into the art of long form conversations in the way that that show allowed me to, I don't think I would have ended up with a podcast as strong as I had from the get go of, of launching it. Um, so it wasn't all bad, but certainly for me, it wasn't a positive experience. And I was basically just let go. Um, I was going to Los Angeles for two weeks for my birthday and for like a kind of a, a personal holiday, but it was going to be like a businessy networky trip as well. So I was flying to LA and the day before I was set to go, the boss at Team Rock took me up to the roof for a cigarette and he was like, so we thought we'd tell you this now because you're going away and there's only a month or so left of your contract. We're not going to renew it. And I was like, cool. So you watch me for the last three weeks, bring bands down here to record full band sessions and interviews to line up all these programs and scheduled kind of, you know, shows whilst I'm away. And now you're telling me the day before I'm going on holiday that you're just letting me go. And I was like, fuck you. So it's showing it. I went on the holiday and I never looked back um, and I never really spoke to anybody else who worked at that station ever again. There's a few individuals, Kylie Olsen, I've got nothing but respect for, um, Alex Milas and Phil uh, Wilding, are two good friends of mine, Stephen Hill as well. I don't have anything negative necessarily to say about everybody else there, but they're just not people that I would ever, you know, actively seek out communication with again. Mm. And that's all I can really say. I, I was just aware that they were just pissing away a lot of money. Um, and it wasn't a surprise to me when the whole thing went under. I did continue to write for them. And the, the, the website team were great. Simon Young and Paul Brannigan and all these great writers that also came from Kerrang! And I think did the best job that they could with what they had. And, and obviously those guys remain dear friends of mine to this day as well but yeah in terms of what went down I think it was just this amazing thing that could have been great uh, and it was given to the wrong people and they squandered the money and the opportunity and I really think they ruined it for any other other form of of business model like that within the rock industry again I think anybody would look at what happened with Team Rock and go now we're not going to do that so it's a real shame but um, as far as what actually went down I think it was just uh, yeah I I think it was given to the wrong people and it was right. around. So that's, so that's the story. Yeah, it's a shame because... The that's more my that's, story. Yeah. I, I, I could be completely off base, but yeah. Because, um, you know, the more sort of rock stations in the UK would be the better, wouldn't it? You know I mean? There's such a limited amount. You know, when you go over to the States and you put the radio on your hire car, it's just constant rock and there's all, you know, K-rock and all that. And it's just... You can't, you, you know, you can't move for rock. But over here, no, it's, just, no, you know, it's like we're a kind of little club that, you know, has to, has to fight for our, for our music, don't we? You know, well, I will, that, I that will would have been good this. to keep. I will say this for me, 
as somebody who loves radio and my roots are in radio and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for my formative training years doing the evening show on Kerrang! That was where I learned the craft of presenting and interviewing and, and everything else. And I've so much love in my heart for radio as a medium, but I just find it redundant in today's world. You can listen to any music you want at any time because you can curate your own playlist on Spotify. You can listen to any podcast and any interview and any conversation whenever you want on the move. I find the whole idea of listening to playlisted formatted radio stations which is what all commercial radio is the same 100 or so songs just in a different order all week long with nauseating personalityless drones introducing the songs <laughs> you know every presenter to me who works in commercial radio today bar a few select you know amazing broadcasters that i've had the privilege of working with most of them are complete morons and dullards and i just i mean do you guys ever listen to the radio do you ever get in your car and switch well, on Planet that's what i'm talking one? about um when you're in your car and you just like can't bother to think or think about what you're going to play and you just put your dab on you just want something good to come on you, but it never you know, nothing good ever comes on does it no that's <laughs> what i was getting at that's, that's what i was saying like you, you, you just want right. team rock there in case you just want to put the dab on in the car <laughs> but yeah. it ain't there yeah. you put planet rock on and it's just like yeah this is like 70s rock again yeah I, I, you I know just what? Think it's always 70s rock on that station isn't it let's face it <laughs> I think whatever the genre, though, you know, whether you tune into Heart or Kiss or oh, whatever fuck. it is. I never tune into that. No, but whatever yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, no, my, my point is this. Radio across the board, regardless of genre, is boring and pointless in today's world because all those stations is just the same 100 songs recycled over yeah. and over and over and over again with adverts and the same generic links. Here's what's coming up, guys. Now yeah, we're going to give away like 250 pounds. And it's just yeah. corporate mundane bullshit and i just yeah. think that the choice that is on offer for consumers if you want to cause that now it's so limitless with podcasts and spotify and everything else radio for me just has no place in today's world yeah, it may yeah. Well you're, you're better off too, like right? if, if there's an artist you're like you love you're better off going on to spotify and just clicking on kill switch engage radio and you're going to hear so many artists that you've never heard before Exactly. It's so clever. It's so clever. It's, it's, it's something else, really, isn't it? Oh, you, when you... I'm in my house, I just say, Alexa, play metal. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, there you just, go. Bang, there it goes. And it just comes up with a load of good songs, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. I mean, I love radio, but I just think it's dead. Yeah. Well, probably is. <laughs> I mean, I think the car, I think cars are going to keep it going, the radio, aren't they? Just people in their cars. But then, what's going to happen with cars soon? Um, Elon Musk wants to. Get electric cars that you put on your drive and then they get rented out to ship people around so you your, your car is virtually a taxi and they're all electric and you know are they going to put the radio on or are they just going to go my car play a playlist yeah they probably will I won't think they? everybody's curating their own lives these days aren't they and, and yeah. it's, it's the same with tv you know why i mean there's i always find there's a real joy to be had tonight i've been i watched smoky and the bandit one and smoking bandit 2 is now on it's the double bill tonight and I, I i still like that about tv is you can channel surf and you can go oh fuck here's blue velvet i haven't seen blue velvet in years and you'll watch it but you know most people i think now the same with spotify over radio most people just go to amazon or netflix over the television because they can choose what film they want to watch then and there and i do yeah. just think 
these are these old forms of entertainment and communication are dying out because the choice and the freedom to do as you absolutely want when you want is so attractive um it just seems crazy to me that you would choose because if if it's a station like six music it's different because then i think you have more of a curated playlist by the presenter who's got knowledge and passion and they're gonna take you on this musical journey and I think there's a few stations like that that offer that true music kind of, this is a, a music-led station, ran by music lovers, for music lovers. But most corporate radio stations, the music isn't programmed by the presenters. Even, no, if you yeah. think, even if you think it is and the presenters are making out like it is, I hate to burst the bubble, but it's just one well, person. Yeah, I mean, it can't be when that... When Dave Berry's on, he's got six different stations, and, and it's Dave Berry, and then it's six different stations playing. Well, yeah. you, can hear, you can hear Dave Berry, and then the, you can be on the indie one or the, or the rock one or the or the you know the dance one, can't you? Yeah, and I just think in today's world, when people are a lot more, you know, I guess empowered or informed, I just don't know why anybody who can choose what they listen to and they know what they like would ever go to. A radio station for music just seems crazy to me it's like going into a restaurant and just without asking what the menu is just going yeah i'll just have a cheeseburger because i like them do you know what i mean they're like do you yeah. want to see the to the day and you're like nah just give me the shit that you're giving everyone else <laughs> that's what it's like for me does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah, totally. yeah totally yeah i've never anyway, been a nice stop bagging on radio it's given me a career so yeah, yeah no well i know i was gonna ask you why you think Scuzz, um, you know, disbanded and what happened with that? I think the that? same reason. I mean, I love Scuzz. I, I had an incredibly positive experience with Scuzz. Um, yeah. It came into my life when I'd been let go by Team Rock. So it came in at a really good time. And that's happened a few times throughout my life when I've been literally at the drop of a hat, let go through no fault of my own, just changes in the industry, whatever. Because obviously when I was let go from Team Rock, I wasn't told why, just your contract's up. And then within a few months, the whole station was gone. I was like, oh, I was the first one. I was the last one in, so first one out. This is the timeless adage. But with Scuzz, um, I didn't really see it coming. But at the same time, um, although I loved the work that I did there and the team that I worked with, I've never in my life been anywhere and been recognized for being on Scuzz. And not that that bothered me, but what I mean by that is I would go to festivals or gigs or whatever, and people would be like, I loved your show on Koran. I'd be like, wow, that was like four, five, six years ago now. And now it's I Love Your Podcast. Nobody has ever, people I think are maybe aware that I presented on there, but nobody has ever in my life come up to me and said, I loved you on Scuzz. And so for me, I was like, well, was anybody watching it? And I think, again, kids, rather than listening to Linkin Park and Blink-182 and Green Day and Chili Peppers and those same hundred or so music videos, or probably even less, 50 yeah. or so music videos day in day out they're going to go on youtube and watch whatever videos they want to watch and i just don't think people were watching it and i think the numbers were dwindling and sony was probably looking at the numbers and just thought well here's a station we can afford to act it's amazing to me and i'm not saying this because i think that the quality of the content is poor i think it's great but it's amazing to me that kerrang radio and kerrang tv do still exist um they're the last two, really. Obviously, Metal Hammer mm. in print is still going strong, which is great. Kerrang's obviously stopped print for the time being. Whether or not it will come back, I don't know. But mm. I think just because these traditional platforms are dying out, it's not that the music is. 
It's just that people are getting it in different ways. And like yeah. everything in life, like this year's taught us, it's adapt or die. And, and when the times they are a changing, you really have to segue across to what's happening now if you want to stay relevant. And the music industry for me has been so slow at catching on to podcasting and the power of podcasting. Comedians have been on it for a decade and they see yeah. the value in it. And every comic worth their salt has a podcast because it's a platform for them to practice their routine and their bits, promote shows. Jesse's one of, I think there's four or five that I can name in the world, rock musicians that have podcasts. There's Toby Morse from H2O. There's Jamie Jaster. There's Rob Flynn. That's kind of all I can think of. Um, mm. And it blows my mind that this year when all these rock musicians or all musicians aren't touring, that they're not starting at podcasts and doing these other things to stay engaged with their audience. They're just kind of sitting at home going, Oh, I want shows to come back. It's like, well, <laughs> they might not be back for another year or so. So it might be time yeah. to think about doing something well, else. He's um, just got canned, hasn't it? So that's yeah, all the I mean, all the no last year, all the festivals followed suit, didn't they? There'll After be no they... festivals this summer. I'm not an no. expert. I don't know, but I can pretty no. much guarantee you I won't. No. No, they're, they're all, you, know, you still see the adverts for them and you're thinking you're still advertising it. It's like, Glastonbury's gone. You're all going to have exactly the same problems. You're not going to do it. It's not going to happen, is it? Six minutes. Oh, you're right there, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, though, boys. No, no, it's, it's, it's great to talk to you. Um, did you did you listen to um, like Noisy Mothers and Headbangers Ball? Did you used to watch that when you was younger? You I know, never had um, you didn't... cable or Sky or any of that. So I didn't even have the internet until I was 18. Um, I was just never interested in it. I was always interested in being out and about and causing trouble, you know, in, in the park. I, I really had, I never had Hotmail. I never had MSN. I never like played really computer games as a kid. I never watched MTV or any of that because I didn't have music television. Um, I just, I don't know. I was out in the park chasing women and going to gigs and getting pissed and, <laughs> I like I literally I didn't use the internet until my final year of college researching for essays and then when I got to uni they had internet in the bedroom so I was like oh maybe I'll get on this internet thing and that was in like 2005 um so I was I was just I wouldn't say it was a sheltered life because it was the opposite of that but I just wasn't interested in technology or social media or any of that shit um it was only through my work and the necessity to self-promote that I've become ingrained in it and now i love i love social media because for me i see it for the positive things that it can be and i yeah. kind of get in and try and project positive stuff and engage with people and i'm really lucky in that i'm just i think below any sort of radar so the only people who follow me seem to be like-minded people who like what i do and are on the same page with most things so i don't really get any trolls or hate mail or bullshit which i see a lot of way more famous people getting like you know I don't understand yeah. why you'd follow someone that you don't like or disagree with to just get into arguments with them. It's like life's too short. Move on. Yeah. Um, why? What is the point in that? It's just what to toxic and negative and, and pointless for me. But I, I've sort of since gone back on YouTube and watched some of those shows and I find them to be of their time and so kitsch and cool and retro. Um, yeah, you, there's nothing really like that around anymore. And there's a, there's a kind of an irreverence to them and an attitude within that time, I guess it fit because alternative culture was such a booming thing then. And there was this sense of like, fuck authority, fuck the establishment. Yeah. This, is, this is unique 
and different and it's fresh. It totally and was. It was such a window for us. It was such a, a way in to see um, those bands and those people mm -hmm. and those, those concerts and those festivals. You know, you found out about the whole lot and it made you want to go. Made yeah. you want to go to those gigs. It made you want to go to them festivals. It made you want to get them albums that Crusher was chucking over the couch and Vanessa Warwick was like interviewing Rob Flynn and you're like, oh, and she shows you a live, you know, bit of machine and you're like, I've got to go to that fucking gig at Brixton. I have to now, you know, it, it, it did all that for us. You know, that's what got us into it. A lot and, of you the know, were all fucked up as well, which is what I like. You know, they, yeah. they were all fucking drugged up, drunk, unpredictable. You know, I'm yeah. not glorifying necessarily getting out of your mind, but there's certainly an anarchic excitement that comes with that which again, I think today, if you're pissed on a TV show, they're like, cancel him. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, like, God, yeah. yeah. Don't, so don't, true. Up, don't step out of line. It's like, well, for me, rock and roll music is about stepping out of line. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. like when there's, um, there was one where Vanessa Warwick was interviewing Skid Row after Don It in 92. Don't know if you've ever seen it. No. But Sebastian, you've got to watch it. Sebastian Bach. And he's, he's been interviewed by Vanessa Warwick in one of the portable cabins at Download, uh, not Download, Don It and, with um, what's his name, the uh, David Snake, and he's just out of his mind. He's like, you know, twenty-four karat entertainment in that video. You're just yeah. like the guy's like off his nuts, and he's so entertaining. It's just like, this makes you want to go and watch Skid Row. You know, that's 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 what it was like back then. He's you know? still crazy now. Um, oh yeah, I've never, I've never had the pleasure of interviewing him, but he's one of my dream guests. He's, he did uh, an amazing That's podcast true. with a guy called Dean Del Rey. I'm not sure if you've heard his show, but he has a very successful comedy podcast in America. Carrot Gold, Hilarity and Entertainment. He's putting on his own records in the background. So he's playing Skid Row records whilst being interviewed. And he's just fucking, I've got the greatest Sebastian backstory. He went up to my friend Joel from the band Airborne at um, Sonosphere one year. And he was trying to like buy weed. He's like, do you know where I can get any weed? And Joel was like, no, nah, man, like, you know, I'm just about to play myself. I'm not a drug dealer or a fucking steward. And Sebastian's uh, <laughs> like, well, if you can get some, man, come find me. And Joel's like, well, how will I find you, mate? And he's like, it's me, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. It's one person in the world yeah. you would find with no problem, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, my God. Do you know what? Are you, are you a big fan of his, man? I love him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, love, I love Skid Row. I haven't really heard much of what he's done after leaving that band, but I just think he is... Have you read his book? No, I, I will. If I ever get the chance to podcast with him, I will read that before going into it, for sure. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I've read it, and my God, it is... I mean, you know, I know he's a legend, but he literally loves himself. Like you yeah. say, like he yeah. every single... A second of that book is him just picking himself up. Yeah. Every, well, that, it's like, that, wow. That for me is hilarious because Gene Simmons is like that. And <laughs> I know at least with Gene, I can't guarantee with Sebastian because I haven't spent any time with him, but I've spent about five hours in the company of Gene and I know he talks like that, but it's with a big, big, big grain of salt. Mm. It's with a big, like sly wink because he's, he's self-aware and he's, he's having fun and he's taking the piss. And I believe yeah. Sebastian Bach may well be as well. Nobody it loves be. that much without that, I think, good sense of humour to go with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm I'm a massive reader. I read constantly. 
all the time, mostly music biographies, but anything really. Um, I really struggled to get through his book. Really right. struggled. Really? I never <laughs> thought that, Hover. You, you, you love Sebastian Bach. <laughs> I do. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. If you ever get a chance to read it, give it a go. I'd love to know what you think of it. <laughs> well, I, I'll have to read it and then be like, Sebastian, do you really love yourself as much as you sort of kind of come across like you do in this book? And it'll be like, yeah, man, it's me. <laughs> It's me, man. <laughs> Fucking great. He tickled my friend at Download once as well. We were just walking along on our way to interview someone. He had all his camera gear. Sebastian just runs up to him and tickles him under his armpits and runs off. He was like, Sebastian back, just tickle me. I was like, yeah. <laughs> He's an absolute mentalist. But yeah, I love him. I love people like that. Like they're, they're my dream guests, you know, just larger than life, absolute characters. You know, whatever they talk about, there's going to be entertainment value there. And you can just yeah. have fun. Yeah, totally. So we haven't even asked you our main question yet. So what was the first gig you went to? Oh, God. Uh, the first gig I went to was Wolverhampton Civic Hall. Uh, I think it was the year 2000, maybe 99. Um, I didn't really go to gigs till I was about 13 or 14 mm. because I didn't have an older brother or sister. Uh, as a kid, I was really only just into, like, Michael Jackson um, and the Spice Girls, and that was kind of it. I was never into like rock and roll growing up. Like it was around my house and I'd listen to Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and then like Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and all the stuff my dad would play, I'd hear. But to be honest with you, I was never really into music as a kid. I was much more into film. I was obsessed mm. with cinema and movies. You know, Home Alone, Ace Ventura, musicals, westerns, just loved movies, couldn't really care either way about music. And then I went to secondary school um, and my parents divorced and I discovered alcohol and cigarettes and women. And you're obviously a teenager and your hormones are exploding. And it was like, I was, you know, I'd gone my whole life as a werewolf, but not knowing it. And then when I was 13, it was like, I saw my first full moon and just made that transformation and, you know, sold my soul to the dark side like that. So my first gig was One Minute Silence and Mudvayne mm -hmm. uh, at the Wolverhampton Civic Hall in like 99 or 2000, whenever they would have been doing that dual tour that they did. And it was mm. berserk. My friend yeah. scored acid off a, an old guy at the gig and he took <laughs> it to school the next day. Um, and then I was performing, it was a Christmas concert. I was performing Bored by Deftones, Limp Biscuit, their cover of um, Faith, and Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. That was the trilogy of songs that I did. It's like 13 years old. And my head of year was like, are there going to be any swear words in these songs, Matthew? We just need to know. And I was like, no, 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 no swear words. Then I'm obviously there like, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Over and over and over again, about 16 times. And my It's exactly said, 16 times. Is it? Yeah, yeah. good memory. And my, friend, my, friend, my friend Josh, I'll just say his first name, um, he took the acid, but he was quite tall for his age. So I look out into the crowd as I'm singing, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And all I can see is him because he's about a head height above everybody else in the gymnasium. And he's just there like looking like a fiend because he's tripping balls on acid. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, I've only just gone to my first gig last night and already friends are dropping acid in school. And I'm singing, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me to my entire year group teachers and all. And after that, there wasn't any looking back. I was like, rock and roll is the most exhilarating, freeing, incredible thing. See you later. And I always yeah. worked hard in school. I was never somebody that got bad grades. I always got really good grades and worked hard. But as soon as that bell rang, 
I was, you know, on the playground, chain smoking, sneaking vodka shots. Like I was having all the fun I could have break time, lunchtime after school and weekends. And then in lessons, I'd straighten out and get, get my head in the game. But yeah, that first gig was a total game changer, man. It was like, wow, this is what, this is what life's really about. This is what I've been missing out on this whole time. It's fucking mm. great. First gig, so yeah. Cool. Amazing. That's a brutal actual first gig combo, isn't it? It was yeah. violent. It was violent and dangerous and terrifying yeah. and exciting all at once. Mosh pits, a lot. Yeah, and everybody was adult size. You know, everybody was big. My friend, another friend, Andy, lost his shoe in the mosh pit and had to get from Birmingham back to Solihull in one shoe. It's just, and we were, you know, we had school the next day. That was what was so great about back then is you'd go to a gig on a weeknight and then you'd have school the next day. Yeah. Sat there in like maths class. Like, why the fuck am I learning about maths when I've just seen the fucking world exposed to me with this incredible form of art that's happening right now and here? What the fuck's, you know, geometry and algebra going to do for me? Yeah, it was was a really exciting time. Like, I think when you discover whatever it is you're going to be in love with for the rest of your life, whether it's a sport or a pursuit or an art, whatever it is, it's in those teenage years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the fires are forged. And I think you really do. Obviously, we all hopefully grow and evolve and mature throughout our life. But I discovered who I wanted to be in that not exact moment, but within that time frame when I was 13 years old. I know a lot of people listen to rock when they're kids and then they kind of get the tie on and straighten out and, and don't necessarily listen to it so much once they become an adult. But for me, I knew then and there, this is going to be me for the rest of my life. And I don't see it ever changing. Like I'm a fucking lifelong rock and roller. Just, I don't have a part. (laughs) I'm exactly the same, mate. I went to school and like you, I listened to Michael Jackson and all that kind of stuff, and that's what I was into. And then one day, one day I heard, um, I can't even remember, I think it was, no, well, no, it said someone gave me a tape of Appetite for Destruction, that was it. That was absolutely it. And then, like, you know, however long later, however long later, someone gave me a tape of Nirvana's Nevermind, and I was like, wow, in my mind. I saw Paradise City, Paradise City on top of the Pops video, and I was just like, "Oh my God, what have I been listening to?" (laughs) (laughs) This is where it's at. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that was the last great time for it, I think. I mean, I caught the tail end in the nineties, but I remember when new metal and pop punk started to become the dominant genres, and that's when I, that's when I began to just go back. I sort of fell out of love with new music and, you know, I was like, well, I know Rancid and Pennywise and The Offspring and Green Day and No Effects. Where did that come from? So I went back and found out about Black Flag and The Germs and Minor Threat and The Clash and The Pistols and Buzzcocks and kind of went back and I've really spent the rest of my life doing that, really. I always Mm. keep up to date with new music, but not to sound like the old guy that's out to pasture, but... I just find that music probably up until the year 2000, for me personally, remains so much more exciting and timeless and realized and rich and incredible than a lot of stuff that's come in the last 20 years, for me personally. No, Um, I totally get that. I mean, I try and keep up with music as much as I can, but at the same time, it's been a long time since I've heard a band that has literally, I've thought, that is life-changing. I mean, when is, when is the next Nirvana going to happen? I don't think it ever will, will it? No, you'll never get a record like Nevermind or Appetite for Destruction ever again. I think that for me, the last album that I heard of that 
and it wasn't anywhere near on that level, but almost was probably Queens of the Stone Age, the one-two punch of Rated R and then Songs for the Deaf. Yeah. Songs for the Deaf for me is like one of the last truly dangerous, exciting, artistic, but also commercially successful rock and roll. Yeah, record. I love that album. And then after that, there's, there's great rock albums being made and great punk albums being made and great metal albums being made, but they're not mainstream concerns. And mm. so you, you don't have these youth movements around guitar music anymore. It's all grime and pop and, and that's fine. That's just what happens, you know, because kids once upon a time were only listening to jazz, you know, and then yeah. rock and roll comes along. And I, I love the whole rock is dead debate because for me, it's like, well, it was never designed to last forever. It's a mm. miracle it's lasted as long as it has. Jazz didn't last that long. You know, jazz was, ex the, you know, the most exciting and kind of revelationary youth culture and, and form of music and art in the 30s. But then Chuck Berry and Elvis come along and just eradicate it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's got the same with classical music. There was a period in time when classical music was the thing. Everybody listened to classical music. Where's that now? Obviously, yeah. it exists in scores and things. Oh, God, isn't it? The films. Yeah. Rock and roll will die at some stage. It will die. Um, yeah. I, I genuinely believe that. But all things do. Um, and everything is reinvented and, and, and you know, it kind of just, it morphs and becomes something else. But Yeah. I, well, look, I mean, Nirvana killed hair metal overnight, right? Literally overnight. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think, I think it's more complicated than that because I think that the, the roots of Nirvana can be traced back to, you know, obviously the seventies punk scene. And it was always bubbling away and you had the Pixies and Sonic Youth and all of these amazing bands, the replacements, and it was all happening. But then it was just like the right place, right time, I guess, for them. And, well, that's and that all it was. was. Yeah. Like there's a lot. Of, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bands out there who I would say are far more talented than Nirvana, than Nirvana were. Right. So, I mean, when you mentioned the replacements, I mean, I'd, I'd say Afghan Wigs are farly superior to Nirvana. But I love the they, so much. Yeah, but they but they weren't in the right place at the right time. Like you say, they, Nirvana, were, they were ahead of their time, and they were yeah. distinct, they were distinctly underground. And Nirvana, what Nirvana did do, I think more so than killing hair metal, what I think it did do is it opened the floodgates for punk rock to mm. then become the mainstream concern. And you wouldn't have had Green Day and The Offspring become these multi-platinum selling bands were it not no. for Nirvana kicking open the gates for alternative music. And yeah. And then, you know, obviously they came in on the, when Kurt died, it was like they needed the next thing to fill that void and that became punk rock. And then that then became commercialized. Um, yeah. but, but it is interesting for me. I think all youth movements now, because there's not those one platforms that you go to find them, it is also sp spread out everywhere and tribes don't really exist anymore. You know, you no, had like no. the skinheads, the goths, the ravers. We grew up in the great ages of subcultures hmm. and, and now kids just like everything because of the, I guess, the nature of streaming. It's they'll go from like Cardi B to Slipknot. To, and so there isn't really like subcultures or tribes anymore. And you don't have to fight to survive. You know, when, when yeah. I was a kid, same for you guys. Like if you were a skateboarder and you came face to face with, you know, a, a chav, I guess they'd be called now. But then we call them like Barry's and Kev's. If you met a Barry or a Kev in the street, like and you're townie, with, townie. Yeah, if you you're there with your hoodie and your skateboard, and they're like, right, that I'm a drum and bass fan. I got my gold rings. Let's fucking fight. And you really like took your life into your own hands to some extent with the choices of clothes that you wore and how you presented yourself. Whereas now you can kind of dress like whatever the fuck you want, and you're not going to get beaten up generally. No. 
And no one could tell what you're into because, like you say, you could just be streaming anything on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> no one could. No one knows what you're listening to. Yeah. No, no. But like you know, in the old days, like if you see if you saw someone like covered in tattoos, you think, oh, they listen to metal. But like now, like everybody on Towie covered in tattoos. It's like, yeah. you know, and they don't listen to metal. No. Yeah. It's a whole, it's it's a whole different thing. It? Yeah. Everybody now has like got blue hair and is covered in tattoos. Mm. And they probably listen to Britney Spears, and yeah, and that's fine. Um, you know, I think it it is what it is, isn't it? Uh, I don't really identify with the term alternative anymore, mm. um, just because I feel like it's it's become something that I've moved on from. Um, I don't define myself as alternative to anything. Um, I guess maybe the mainstream, but then now alternative is mainstream, isn't it? Yeah, in, yeah. In the way that it's been commodified by high street stores and and everything, really, I don't think the alternative scene is alternative anymore. Um, but you know, that's again, it's like the is rock dead thing. It's like everything just has to run its course in the way that it's going to do. And yeah. people who like look at Reading Festival and go, "Oh, Reading shit nowadays, it's sold out." Reading hasn't changed. Reading has always been a festival for kids. I went to Leeds when I was sixteen. It was my first festival. And it was always catered towards the youth market. It was just that when we were growing up, guitar music was the dominant form yeah. of youth music. Now it's, uh, I don't know, Youngblood or 21 Pilots and publications like Kerrang! might say that these are rock acts, but they're not. They're not they, are, they are pop acts and that's fine. Um, but Reading is just catering for that audience, the youth audience. And so anybody who's like 30 and above complaining about the Reading lineup, I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, but it's time to admit to yourself you're old and you should, <laughs> you should probably be going to like rambling man fair festival or boomtown or um rebellion you know or download or maybe slam dunk but reading just isn't for you anymore that's mm. fine accept it move on because yeah. the kids are gonna like what they're gonna like and i would never begrudge anybody you know their taste you've got major they're major pop acts at glastonbury haven't you the lineup yeah, was the lineup Lineup was going to be Taylor Swift, and you don't get more major pop act than that, do you? And I and I adore Taylor Swift. I think she's cool. I think I really love what she stands for. I watched a documentary on her, and I I got a whole new level of respect for her. I like her music, um, but anyway, to anything. And Glastonbury really did used to be the festival for like you know you're a fan of the Happy Mondays or Oasis or the Verve yeah. or Specials. And that's not that now either. And again, no. that's fine. I think for me, you've just, you just, you know what you like. So go to the place where that's being catered for and just enjoy it and stop yeah. moaning that what you like isn't yeah. being for in places where it used to be because time moves on. Yeah, of course. Find the lineup that you like and go there. Yeah. Or create your own. I've got the ultimate respect for anybody who has a certain interest in alternative or underground music of any kind. And they're like, this specific niche isn't being covered let's fucking get out there and create a festival and there's so many like mid to lower level festivals now that cater to those needs like 2000 trees and art tangent and bloodstock like if you're into rock metal punk alternative music that's where you want to be going yeah like bloodstock art tangent that's the festival yeah. where you're going to find the bands that are really Heavy and on ground and alternative. Yeah, they really so much anymore because yeah. they need to sell tickets because it's a huge festival. But yeah, man, I mean, why are we talking about festivals? They ain't coming back this year. Oh, we just no. uh, something there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, no, there's something in your book actually. Um, 
we haven't got onto your book. We, we totally want to. Um, Life in the Stocks, the book. I've been reading. I've got halfway oh, through. Old thing. A little baby there. I, I got it on the um, iTunes. You know where you read it on the iTunes? What's it called? I don't, like a Kindle equivalent. I, I, iBooks. iBooks. No, iBooks. I didn't there know it is. was on there. Is it on there? Yeah, got it. Got it. Brilliant. Oh, where is it? I didn't even know. It's there. <laughs> I've been reading it on that. Just on your and phone. I, Amazing. Yeah, just been reading it what, on my phone. What because, a world we're living in. Because I had to, I had to read it uh, oh, the best I could before we spoke to you. But we've gone, we've gone through the bit where you drink a load of hooches and tell your mum it was lemonade. Yeah. Um, at the caravan park. Yeah. Which I thought was classic. It doesn't get more pikey than that, does it? <laughs> it's just classic. He's like, Mum, but yeah, I want some, some of these lemonade, the hooches. <laughs> she bought you a load and you got hammered. That's Brilliant. Great. Tanked. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of that I, I was the life of agony. It was it? He's um, so despondent with the music industry. Feels like just leaving it and never ever listening to music again or making music ever again and just thinks thinks that thought every day because of the way it's gone now where you can't just sell your album make money from it make a living from it or you know and obviously now there's no gigs to be had to to make money from that either so now the the, the general thought every day is to, to leave it completely now i was gonna say to you that well Obviously, they could leave. That could have a sort of effect where it happens to loads of bands and they just start stopping making music and they disappear off the face of the earth. It's, it's a thing that could happen, isn't it, really? A hundred percent, and it already is. You know, look at all these artists who are selling their entire back catalogs. You know, Bob Rock just sold all the Black Album rights. And yeah, everything. I heard that. Um, I guess Bob Dylan was talking about doing it. Like, all these people now are like, fuck it, I'm out. Um, and I think the pandemic has really accelerated what a lot of people like what Mina from Life of Agony is talking about in the book. People, music has become so devalued and so underappreciated. People claim to love music, but unless you're buying albums by acts that you love, you're not a music fan. If you're just streaming that shit for free and you're not giving anything back, you're not a real fan. And I understand why these artists are annoyed with the hand that they've been dealt because the streaming services are butt-fucking them. Um, the labels have always done that. That's part of the, you know, the course of what they do. But the fans now don't want to part with their money. When we were growing up, albums were like £15 at yeah. standard price. Now you can buy an album for like a fiver on iTunes, but people would still rather go and buy a fucking cup of coffee from Starbucks on their way to work every day for about £3 than invest in an album one, one time that they get forever. And it's disgusting to me. And so I completely sympathize with artists who feel like what's the fucking point i get mm. it man and i do feel like this is inevitable and it is coming not to be too negative and downbeat but without touring and merch sales that's the only income musicians have going for them now without that in this time that we're in there is nothing keeping these artists in fucking room and board not the life that they're accustomed to, riches and fucking fame, just a basic living and income. It's yeah. a real hustle now. And, and when you, you think about the money that used to go into developing artists and recording records, and that's why all these amazing albums were made up until around the age of Napster, is because as soon as albums stop selling, 
the money goes out of the music industry. There's not the investment in it. So of course we're not going to have David Bowie's or Prince's or Madonna's or any of these amazing artists again, because there's not the money there. It's kind of like, be careful what you wish for. You wanted free music, you've got it. But in the process of that, you've lost the great people that made it what it is. Yeah. And, and so many people I think are feeling completely disheartened and just like crushed by the cards that the music industry yeah. and the music buying and consuming public have dealt them that it's going to be a very interesting five to 10 years from here yeah. on in. And COVID has really, I think, just accelerated what was already happening. Um, and it's across the board, man, with print magazines and, and everything. Like I see it from the journalistic side of the industry. When I first started out on Kerrang, you'd get to go on press trips abroad into all these exciting places because the labels would pay for it because there's all this money there. I didn't even get sent CDs anymore. Like I get sent digital downloads of albums but i don't get sent physical anything anymore let alone taken and i'm not saying whoa hard hard done by am i i just mean that is really a perfect example of how little to no money there is in the music yeah, industry and the arse mm. has fallen out of it sort of thing big time but <laughs> the hopeful flip side to that is if you're a true creative you don't do it for the money anyway and if you come from that punk rock diy background which i do you're going to go out there and you're going to create and you're going to put on shows and make music and make art and, and connect with your audience and, and have an output and, and a voice. You're going to do all those things anyway, because it's in you and you need to. And I really just think that this time that we're in now will separate the true artists from the people yeah, that are in, yeah. for the money and the, you know, the business. I mean, yeah, also, you know, at the end of the day, like these days, it's like, you know, in the old days, you needed an advance from the record label to be able to record your album, and you know, you spend thousands and thousands on making your album. But these days, you don't need to do that anymore. You can make an album yourself very easily. You know, if you're if you're that way inclined, and not just make it, but promote it, release exactly. it. You can, you can do everything yourself. And yeah. sometimes, I think you need to learn that shit to be actively engaged in it. And mm. look at like a label like Discord, the Mackay and the Washington DC scene, like one of the most iconic labels in rock history with some of the most iconic albums. They never commodified their art. They kept it independent. They had complete creative control. They kept it organic and it continues to be a successful label to this day. So I think the arse has definitely fallen out of the, the industry as a whole, as you put it. But, um, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's good and bads to every situation, yeah. I think. And again, we just like we were saying about the whole COVID times and technology, you just yeah. got to roll the punches. It's adapt or die. So then now. You know, it's a lot easier to get your music out there now than it's ever been. So, yeah. yeah. There's a few guys yeah. from South End that, have, that I know that uh, all used to be in like South End hardcore bands. And they've just got together and started re-releasing all their old demos and albums onto vinyl and doing, you know, they've got some guys doing some lovely artwork and re-releasing these really good looking vinyls of those old bands. So, you know, as stuff's going away, stuff's coming back up. There's, it's not I, about, think, you know? I do think vinyl and books are seeing a huge upsurge as well, because in this age of digital throwaway disposable content, um, people want tangible, physical, you know, pieces of art and, and, things books records you know these things that you can hold and smell and 
and touch and, and be taken into this world. You've been reading the book on the phone, but like for me, there's nothing better than picking up a book and getting lost in it in the same way when you buy a vinyl and you fucking, here we go, just get some mellow miles and you open up the record and you're like fucking in there, you know, you're reading the lyrics and the liner notes and yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Mm. And the vinyl, I think, has sold more this year than uh, any year since like 1986 or something. Oh, it's which massive. Is it's come back in a amazing. Point. It's certainly not all doom and gloom. It's just changing big time. Mm. Yeah, I bought a few vinyls. I've, I've got the 18 Visions ones, didn't I? And I got that, um, the Beastie Boys Best Of one. I had to get that. Music. I, I got that on vinyl. But yeah, um, so we'll finish up with, if we don't mind, just asking you what your best gig of all time has ever been that you've been to, Matt. Mm. Wow. That's a hard question. <laughs> and that's, a, that's a tough one. I know you did say about ACDC at Donington on your podcast. Yeah, I mean, that probably remains it. And I think uh, drugs are a hell of an enhancement for concerts. <laughs> and, and I was on MDMA at that show, and I wasn't too fucked up that I was out of it and didn't remember it. I was just fucked up enough to have the whole experience heightened. And um, it was the busiest I've ever seen download. It was 2010. Yeah, we were there. They brought their own stage, as you know, as you know if you were there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they're my favorite band of all time. They really are. It was the first time I'd seen them. And they just came crashing out at the start, rock and roll train. And my friend was like, do you want some of this? And I was like, fucking yeah. And um, <laughs> it, within 15 minutes, I was on cloud 59 and it was just an incredible, incredible show, powerful in every way. And it was, there's so few bands like that left now that unite, you know, 80,000 people. And I've been to so many downloads and seen so many headliners. And when you have a field that's half full, it's such a wet fart of an end to the day. You're like, <laughs> oh. and there's a, a select few that when they play, it's an event. And it's bigger than just a concert. It's an event. It's a happening. It's a moment in time. And that for me is like a 90 minute experience that I'll cherish and adore for forever. And I've seen them a few times since, but nothing touches that first time. You couldn't move like all. It was amazing. Way, it was amazing. Yeah. Where all the burger vans are. It was still like that there, like it is in the front few rows. It was like that for yeah, GNR, was. wasn't it? When GNR come back a couple of years I ago. It was, it was... I didn't see that show, man. Oh, it was like that. It was like that full. Just full, no, crazy. Full. Everyone from that festival was watching them. I don't know why. I think I was doing a breakfast show at that time, and I had to get back for fucking to be on air the next morning, gutted, because um, you know I loved Guns and Roses, and I haven't, I still haven't seen the Duff slash Axel incarnation since they've come back. And yeah, I can imagine it's exactly the same thing. It's a moment in time, never to be repeated. And oh, uh, they're they're the they're the kind of times when you realise that. Music is so much bigger than a genre or a T-shirt yeah. or anything like that. It's this collective, spiritual, I believe that, experience that unites us as people, breaks down all boundaries and inhibitions, and you're just lost in the beauty of fucking chords and lyrics and truth. It's epic. So, yeah, download 2010 ACDC would be number one. Thank you for jogging that. Hey. Yeah, and no. That's a great answer. I would have been thinking for ages otherwise. What was it? <laughs> uh, I knew you definitely said it when I was listening to your thing. Yeah. No, I'll make you right there. That was probably in my top 10 of gigs. The yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well. It was fantastic. Amazing. 
So it was, when bit, you... it was a bit gutting, a bit gutting you didn't get a full lineup before them because they did that weird stage thing. You lost half the bill, didn't you? And it was yeah. like, well, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Fucking matter when they come on, did it? <laughs> I just, I massively respect when bands pull that kind of a diva move, but they do it in such a way that it's rad. Um, I heard that they weren't allowed to be sold on any T-shirt. So if you bought a download T-shirt that year, it wouldn't have said ACDC on it because their clause was we're not playing download. We're ACDC are playing a show that happens to be at download. Um, yeah, it's mad. You could, but you could get ACDC on the bootleg ones, Matt, when you went outside. The, the boot, on the, boot, on the bootleg sure T-shirts, they put them on there. I'm sure you could, but that's neither here nor there. The point yeah. of that story is that they command that kind of a power move. Yeah, they did. And it's not a dickish one. It's just like, that's fucking awesome. And, and they're ACDC. They can do what they want. I remember yeah. that Andy Coppin said, yeah, we learned from the ACDC um, thing not to do that again. <laughs> well, he's looking at it from a business point of view, I'm sure, yeah. And as you say, you lose out on half the bill. Um, yeah. But look how busy it was. It ain't been that busy ever since then, apart from the Guns N' Roses, which I didn't see. I haven't yeah. seen that field anything like as busy as that since that day. So maybe they should look at doing that again. Yeah. 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 Well, Matt, yeah. it's been a great chat. Thanks so much for talking to Facing the Crowd, me and Hobo. And it was a pleasure. Like with the book, the book is obviously brilliant. I love the way it jumps, um, you know, from person to person. So it doesn't ever become stale. It just goes, you know, an account of someone. And all the accounts seem to tally up in a way that it moves on. And then you've got your bit segments in the middle and your playlist and that. It's top draw, mate. So good luck with it. Yeah. Thank hey. you, Matt. Lee, when you finish with it, can I borrow your phone? <laughs> I'm only yeah, joking. Right. I'm going to no buy it. Yeah, <laughs> man. Hobo loves reading. He'll, he'll buy the paperback. It was a labour of love, and I'm really pleased with how it's come out, and I'm glad that it comes across that although these are disparate stories that didn't, to begin with, have a you know, uniting thread throughout them, that the way that I've ordered them and put them together, I wanted it to have a narrative arc and, and a link and... It's cool that it reads in that way. So cheers. Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah. Top draw, mate. Fantastic. Chin chin. We're coming back in here. <laughs> Dry January for me. Nothing but water over here. Fair play, yeah. mate. Fair play. Not when you're, not when you're homeschooling, mate. <laughs> you want the wine at 11 in the morning. I fucking don't blame you, mate. I imagine you need it and you deserve it. <laughs> Bless you, mate. All right. Fantastic. Hey, All the best for the podcast, and I'll see you at a concert in the future, I hope. You will do. Cheers, buddy. Take care. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. You know why? Because I didn't have breakfast. Today. I woke up at 2 in the afternoon. I'm Harry Mulder. in the crap podcast. All the hot dude put on, you turned up as loud as it'll go, and you annoy your neighbors and shit, and it's just balls out. Can I say on here? Yeah, I can.